It's Great Mondays Radio. I'm Josh Levine, your host, founder of Great Mondays. We help executives from hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations build cultures that attract, engage, and retain top talent. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, hang out for about 20 minutes and I'll tell you how. Hey everybody, welcome back to Great Mondays Radio. Today we have Ekaterina Salamina, who is the co-founder of Future London Academy. And I thought I would have uh, Ekaterina on because she runs a, um, a executive school for creatives. And I, I find this idea of um, kind of these organizations that have staff and then have collaborators, but then also have customers, we would call them. But it's really much more about uh, creating a culture among, across those, right? So it's not just the employees. And so I thought we could talk a little bit about that. And also she has some, um, she's done some experimentation and some learning around how to bring in more neurodiversity, how to respect that and honor that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about that. Katarina, it's really nice to have you on. Thanks for coming on Great Mondays Radio. Thank you for having me, Josh. And by the way, I love the name of the podcast. I personally love Mondays, so I think Great Mondays is such a great name. And I was just thinking this Sunday that I was so looking forward to going to the office on Monday because I get coffee from my favorite place. They usually close on the weekends. I see the team because Monday is when we all come together and have all the internal meetings. So it's so much fun. And it looks like, you know, one of those um, screenshots from a movie when everyone is laughing and hugging and doing yeah, some productive yeah. work. And also <laughs> it's like a perfect day when I have my perfect Muay Thai workout. So it's um, it's a separate conversation, but I also do Thai boxing. But it's such a wonderful day. Monday is one of my favorite days. So I love that I am on a podcast that's called Great Mondays because Mondays are great. I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you appreciate it because sometimes people are like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? So that's good. <laughs> um, Katerina, tell us a little bit about the Future London Academy. It's such an interesting kind of hybrid Endeavor, this was a project you started as almost like a hobby. Is that right? Correct. It started very much from a passion and personal need. So my backstory is that I come from a creative background. I worked in creative industry for a very long time as a creative director with some of the most amazing agencies, won some awards. And I worked with Michael Wolf, who is a founder of Ophorlins and quite a celebrity in graphic design world. And uh, he just turned 90 uh, last year, which is crazy. And he's quite a, a special, special human. So I worked with him, uh, still work with him, actually. And uh, I worked with Donatello Versace, so I've seen the best in the design world. But one thing that I've been missing throughout these years is a place where I can learn. Um, mm. Because the more senior you get in any profession, the less new information you can find. Um, as a junior, it's very easy to go on YouTube and watch something. But uh, as a senior, you need to talk about culture and other things that, again, I'm sure your your lovely audience can relate to. And, and yeah, I couldn't find any place, so I decided to create one. And guess what? There are other people, turns out, who are interested in the same thing. So it kind of grew from that very much side project and a hobby to a company now that, yeah, is international and um, has uh, incredible collaborators programs and courses for senior creatives. Very cool. 
So um, one of the challenges that um, you've expressed is that you just, and, and, I, and I feel like you're, you're experiencing what we're, what all organizations eventually are going to experience, which is you have people in all sorts of different places, right? So we have extreme um, distribution, but then you also have, and you look for extreme uh, diversity and um, I wanted to hear a little bit about, I mean, the the uh, Future London Academy is over 10 years old, and so you've been through iterations. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, and I want to I get right into this idea of getting um, a, a really diverse kind of staff, getting these people. How did, how, what was the pain point? Like what first started where you're like, oh, we need to address this or was it was it something were you ahead of it and you're like oh well we um i know this is something that was you did you just start with that it's a great question and i suppose it comes a little bit back to your introduction in terms of what we as a team and i personally see in the industry because basically any challenge that i experience or any problem that i i know about comes from three perspectives from my background in working in large organizations and kind of what I've experienced and saw around myself, then obviously uh, through creating incredible courses and events where we collaborate with the CEOs and chief design officers and chief creative officers from some of the cool companies and I hear the challenges that they have. And then obviously now I have my own company where we have a team and we have our own culture and our challenges that um, again, I, I need to think about and, and can reimagine from ground up because when it's your company, you can do whatever you want. So therefore you can actually make changes based on what you see. So I suppose all my answers today will be coming partially from the perspective of doing things within the company that I run, partially from seeing things in the industry, how they've been done and are done, and partially from everything that I hear from our clients, from our community, from our collaborators in terms of the best practices and challenges that are happening in the industry. Mm -hmm. Going back to your question, what are the challenges? What, what is going on? What mm -hmm. is the number one thing, especially in the creative community? And I don't think I would say anything groundbreaking here, but um, with the kind of return back to the offices and kind of in general creative culture being quite um, disrupted by people working from home, not working from home. Do we need an office as creatives? We love being in the same space. This what created the very special atmosphere in any creative agency, those cool fancy offices with yes, right. great things. And, uh, and, and suddenly it, it is changing. So there are lots of discussions uh, in the industry about mental health, well-being, balance of work. But I think one aspect that gets forgotten throughout this conversation is why, why do we have these challenges? Um, mm. Why is a, there is a crisis of mental health and well-being? And the answer is because we have diversity of people with diversity of needs and challenges and hmm. life experiences and stories, everyone is different. So no matter what solution you come up with as a company, as a leader, it's probably not going to serve to every single person because you come from one angle and one perspective. And specifically what I suppose um, is even more forgotten <laughs> is uh, the question of neurodiversity. 
And that's something that actually 15 to 20% of the entire population experience. So it's not necessarily a very rare thing that only certain people need to think right. about. It's basically one fifth of the entire globe um, is on a spectrum of neurodiversity. What on is, top of that. Yeah. yeah well, can I, I'm going inter- to interrupt you. Let's, uh, can you, I, I, um, I feel like we've, or there had, this term has been thrown around a lot. What, how do you talk like what is what is it how how do you define it let's just get that on the table sure i suppose the very straightforward way of neurodiversity is basically differently wired brain, brains so every brain is wonderfully wired, unique different, different yeah, and yeah. Uh, and can come up with different ideas and especially in the creative industry we all the, the more different we are the better yeah, the more different are our weird. brains Weird, exactly. And that's why creatives come up with the best ideas, because they see the world differently. So this differently wired brain uh, could, I suppose there are lots of terms around neurodiversity, like ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia. There are other, I suppose, um, conditions that some people heard about that kind of fall under this bucket of neurodiversity. But essentially, yeah, it's differently wide brains. Um, and one thing that I want to state very clearly from the beginning, it doesn't mean worse. It doesn't mean it's less of something, mm-hmm. which is a common misconception. Misconception if we talk about dyslexia, people can say like, oh, these people can't write or can't spell. Um, it's it could sometimes um, kind of be visible through um, uh, different. Basically, people can't sequence uh, or sequence things differently so it could be sequence of letters therefore the spelling might be incorrect but in general they just um, they have difficulty sequencing but uh on that's kind of the 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 negative side they can see but also they have better empathy they have better spatial reasoning and they can be like very creative in a different way so you can't say they have less of something because they also have more of something and I think that's what's often forgotten that neurodiverse people bring a lot to the table and they actually uh, are the ones who come up with these incredible ideas but to make sure we create an environment for any diversity and specifically for neurodiversity, we need to think how we design our offices, how we create the environments for them to be their best selves. Yeah. So it, to me, it sounds like you're in a perfect, uh, the perfect kind of context for um, understanding, experiencing neurodiversity, right? Because your attention is driven towards creatives and you run a creative endeavor and so you're going to have probably have a higher propensity of self-selecting neurodiverse uh customers and staffers because of this so you're you it's the the question then is okay now you're really experiencing this so what how have you been able to um address this like if you're saying it's not a problem so what if 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 they're not doing things worse why do you have to come up with a solution or why what is it what is it the maybe that's the question what is the challenge that, that this neurodiverse is it is attracting more neurodiverse people or or making them feel understand that it's not like what I'm sorry I'm real time processing my <laughs> question here what is what no, is it that we're trying yeah, to solve was, for 
That's a very good question. And as with any diversity, as you probably, um, being in, in the topic of culture, you, you know that actually non-diverse uh, groups perform better in terms of efficiency because they have they need to spend less time communicating and all of that. Now, the quality of their ideas or, or projects, whatever, is not as good. So even though mm. it might be easier to run any non-diverse team, let's say I'm a, a woman of a certain age and I would love just to hire women who are the same as me, come from the same background, and will understand each other so well that it will be so easy to run. Now, it probably won't be <laughs> incredible company if we create something like that and our ideas will be very limited to what we see and what we, yeah. We, yeah. We, we know. So the same with any diversity, including neurodiversity, um, if it's one fifth of population and you don't consider what might be different about these people, then you might exclude them. They might not work for your company and you might miss out on incredible talents and ideas that these people bring. So now comes the question, what can we do to make sure that these people come into our workforce and then also not suffer in the workforce? Because what's happening now, especially mm. With a lot of people, I'm sure you've heard that a lot of, especially women, are now um, diagnosed um, in, with ADHD at the later stages. They're 30, 40 years old, 50 years old, because it has been misdiagnosed specifically in women for a very long time. So suddenly oh. this kind of curve is uh, going back up. Um, and everyone's suddenly discovering that, oh my God, this thing that I've been um, thinking about my whole life, it's actually something very normal. And this is how my brain is wired. And um, I've just been masking my behavior to fit what normal looks like. And um, to, to, to succeed, no to succeed in the way that it's been defined. Exactly. And I, I like that you said how it's been defined because I it doesn't mean it's right. It just has been defined in a certain way. And therefore, everyone kind of has to follow the same rules. And yep. some of them just don't make sense. Um, and it's fascinating because going back to the original, um, the beginning of our conversation about mental health and well-being, if you mask your behaviors, if you mask, uh, and by masking we mean um, we try to pretend that yes. we think and feel exactly like the person next to us, even though actually what's going through our head is very different. And for example, I don't feel like maybe like smiling now, but maybe everyone else around the table is smiling. Right. So I will smile because it seems like the right well, thing to do. Because we want to be part of the group. We want to be, that's a, that's a, that is a, um, a genetically encoded survival mechanism, right? Oh, I want to be just right. like them. You are very right. Exactly. So we try to be like our peers who have very different brains from ours. Everyone has a different brain and and they might be more loud and extroverted or they might be okay working in a noisier conditions. And we feel like, well, if they are okay doing that, we must be okay doing it. But internally we are suffering and we just need a quiet spot somewhere to hide and, and just do and our then... work. That 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 da very damaging question creeps in, which I've struggled with, and and, I, and many other people that I've worked with. What's wrong with me? Exactly. Right. What's exactly. Well, I can't. Everybody's doing it one way, and I just I can't do it. Something must be wrong with me. Exactly. And there is nothing wrong with you or anyone who is listening because oh, every single one it. of us is different. <laughs> and I think just realizing that is such a relief for so many people. Some people are afraid of being diagnosed with 
whether it is ADHD, dyslexia, whatever that is, because they will feel like that label will kind of yeah. um, haunt them throughout their lives. Sure. But some actually find it very relieving knowing that that is okay. You just have a different wide brain. It's not worse. It's not better. It's just different. And you just need to know how to work with it. That's all. So you're swimming in a uh, world of creatives, a world of neurodiverse people, um, and you can, and I'm sure you have, given the talk of, hey, everybody, you're all wired differently. Was that enough or did you have to do something something else to make sure that people felt okay? Good question. And I have to say, I am not a psychologist. I'm not a, a medical professional. So I'm definitely not the person to to give lectures on neurodiversity. I Basically, I do it from my firsthand experience. But we do have incredible experts on neurodiversity who teach in our programs. We have incredible, for example, Emma Wee, who is a neurodiversity coach specifically. So she is neurodiverse herself and uh, she talks very openly about her experience. Mm -hmm. And also from the medical and psychological perspective, what does it mean to be neurodiverse and how as leaders can we manage uh, our needs, but also how mm -hmm. can we create environments for neurodiverse teams? So I have to say all my knowledge does not come from myself. It comes from incredible experts that we bring on our courses and programs. And specifically, one thing that Emma talked about um, was creating these environments for, for people to work comfortably. I mean, kind of common sense, but especially um, we, we very often don't actually listen to what people need because uh, we might say um, that we all love coming to the office. We can vote like who wants to come to the office, who wants to work from home, something like that. Very generic, very, um, very abstract. But what does it mean coming to the office? Does it mean we sit quietly in, in the room and we just like presence of each other and that's what coming to the office means for us? Mm. What does our office look like? Is it an open space where I can't hide and it's very noisy and busy because salespeople are making calls all the time? Is it a creative space where everyone is so extroverted and every brainstorm is such a fun activity and I'm the only one who doesn't like that way of brainstorming so therefore I can never contribute even if we are all in person? So we kind of often um, do not actually discuss what we mean by creating an environment for that creativity. And one thing that we actually did with our team after Emma opened our eyes on, on everything in the world of neurodiversity is we created mm -hmm. a manual of me. The manual sure of me. So let me, so you, uh, let's repeat um, the, the instructor's name, Emma Wee. Emma Wee, yeah. Yeah. And so she came in and taught a class on uh, for your for the academy, the manual of me, correct? And then well, she talked about all sorts of things, neurodiversity, how ah, different okay. whether it is you have dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism, ADHD, what does it mean? And what does it mean to have someone like that in the team? It's hugely valuable. And I would say if any company still hasn't invested in understanding at least understanding neurodiversity what does it actually mean without those yeah. labels that as i said adhd people are just all over they the can't place focus yeah that can't focus which is not true as you probably know uh actually adhd people can have intense periods of focus it's just the problem is they have a bit of too much focus and they actually can switch between things very quickly but if they love someone and i'm sure you had those experience when you just engross in the 
the project and you just work the entire night without even understanding what time it is, those intense periods of focus are very, very normal yeah. for people with ADHD. So again, those labels that we hear about are not helpful. And first we need to do is understand what does this each condition actually mean? What are the benefits or ADHD people that come up with big ideas very quickly? They can think of the vision. They have like these big, big things that they can quickly generate but they probably will struggle more with kind of narrowing things down or kind of uh, hitting the deadlines if there is no pressure, external pressure. So there might be other things that we need to guilty, create. Guilty is charged. <laughs> well, again, this is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong. It's just knowing that and understanding how, yeah. now that we know all of this about our team members, about ourselves, what do we do with this? And the solution for us was many of me, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners and yourself heard about from, it actually comes from a lot of tech companies in Silicon Valley, yeah. a lot yeah. of, especially CEOs love to write a menu of me. Like, this is how I work. If you want to email me, I respond at 5 a.m. and whatever. Right, 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 right. Now, let me, let me just give a, yeah. let me just give a shout out to, so um, I did a little bit of research. So Matthew Knight was the uh, or uh, originator of this idea of the manual of me and he has, uh, you can find him, he has a Manual of Me website, but he credits um, the the um, rise of the idea of personal user manual um, to the New York Times author, um, Adam Bryant. So I just want to make sure that um, the listeners understand uh, where it comes from. It's it's actually been out in the world uh, and and evolving for a while. And so I was very, you know, when you started to talk about this, I, I've heard of it, bits and bobs, but um, to hear more about it and how it works for you is really kind of where we are. So I just wanted to interrupt and just give him, uh, Matthew, some credit for his, uh, for his creation. So this is a tool that you're using, you've brought into your team to describe themselves like how does that what is what is it like good question and thank you so much for bringing the the credits and the history because it is it has been as you as you said in the industry for a while and even we've heard of it for a while before we actually understood what to do with it and decided to do something about it and it kind of we we create our own version there are many versions on the internet that you can look look up and kind of um, copy if you want. Uh, we'll provide the link to our version if anyone wants. We have a mirror board. It's open for everyone to kind we'll of put choose. All, we'll put all that info in the in the show notes. But essentially it has um, five sections um, and basically everyone in the team needs to fill each of the sections and then we discuss it. So the five sections are a little kind of a fun introduction. It's kind of just a conversation starter, I suppose, um, like how do you like your coffee or what, what do you like to talk about, something like that. But the mm -hmm. three key sections are uh, how do you communicate? So basically, are you a WhatsApp person or a Slack person or do you like talking in, in person? Mm -hmm. When you are brief, do you like to see the text written versus uh, you'd like someone to read it out to you and discuss? And Again, this is very important going back to the question of neurodiversity, 
because um, different conditions within the neurodiversity, neurodiverse family, I suppose, uh, require different uh, skills and uh, they kind of have different patterns. Yeah. So some people are much yeah. better hearing things and they understand information much faster by hearing, some by visual kind of looking and reading that can scan information quickly. Each yeah. of us is different. Uh, so we can't really um, say that the culture in our company, we all talk to each other and we expect after the meeting to kind of leave the meeting knowing what you need to do. Yeah. You need to understand that different people within the team will understand information in a different way. So some will need a written version of it. So for example, we have written documents throughout the meeting where we document everything we discuss. So anyone can go back to the notes and kind of read it if uh, the kind of conversational style wasn't yeah. the best way for them to digest information. So first section is about communication, how you collaborate, like do you like meetings like do you like them on zoom in person so anything that is relevant second question is about growth and professional growth and mm. how do you like your feedback that i suppose less about neurodiversity but potentially more about cultural differences which i'm sure you talked about on your mm -hmm. podcast about how different people understand feedback differently and how we like giving feedback in a different way and expect everyone to want to receive it in the same way which yeah. is not true and very much I'm coming from a very straightforward uh, culture where I like saying things as they are and I like hearing things as they are. And British culture is the opposite, where you kind of never say what you never you say mean. what you actually mean. And that was confusing for me for so long because I just I couldn't understand what people want. I and when I was communicating, giving feedback to someone, people get offended. So anyway, this is a, an opportunity for everyone to say, you know what? I like my feedback to be mm. this way. I understand it better. Don't throw things at me immediately. It will just freak me out. Just give me the context whatever i like for example data i love when people bring me numbers so whether it is we want to make this decision because i don't know 30 percent of our users or our customers or something did this so bring me some sort of information i can actually dig deeper in so i love looking at any sort of numbers i mean my first degree is engineering so maybe that's where it comes from there you go so, <laughs> love numbers i like i like a story so there you go <laughs> See, so that that could be like a very um, uh, different kind of pattern of behavior. And so in that section about personal growth, we also talk about strengths. And, and actually, that's important that links back to another research about uh, strengths that we all perform better when we um, focus on or we spend our day uh, doing things that we think we are good at. Now, super subjective. And the key here is what we think we are good at. So it technically doesn't mean that, uh, and it can be very nuanced, but essentially by asking people what their strengths are, you understand suddenly what kind of things people would want to work on. If, for example, I say, I love public speaking, I think I'm actually very good at interviews and I'm nailing one right now, then the next time there is an opportunity to do anything, then the, the my manager or my colleague will know that this is something I'll enjoy doing because I think I'm good at it. So therefore, I probably will jump on that opportunity. Or it could be, I love solving really difficult problems, the ones that no one can no solve. One and then, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so suddenly this is a, a great um, person to solve. So it could be kind of in a different way. So kind of professional growth and anything around that. And then the next session is about needs and expectations. And that's, again, going back to the question of neurodiversity. Needs, what do I need to be needs productive? Needs and expectations. All right. 
talk talk to me about needs and expectations. What what does that mean? And I have to say, if anyone listening now already forgot anything we discussed so far, I would say focus on these needs and expectations. And if you can discuss that within your team, mm. uh, even without the context of neurodiversity, I would say that would probably give you the biggest difference within your culture, your performance, whatever you're working on. So that um, we have kind of several subsections about what do I need to be productive, what stresses me out and what gives me energy. Ah, so essentially, okay. um, yeah. yeah. And and it's so funny how, actually, question to you, Josh, can you give me a, an example of what gives you energy? You know, what, like, you know, that day when you're like, I'm nailing it. Like, it's, I'm so good. What gives you energy? Well, it's just the, the, interacting with other people, having these conversations i do i you know i love this i love this i love talking and solving problems with my clients it's like i'm just like when that ends like yesterday i don't know if i got much done but we had a product a productive call with one of my colleagues and we solved some problems and i was just like that was a great day you know but like I, it, there was some other things that i didn't quite get as done as i wanted to so for me that's it's interacting and solving problems let's say Amazing. This is brilliant. And and now you know if you've been weeks without interacting with anyone and solving problems, you probably won't feel that energized. And therefore, exactly. um, and, and, and your colleagues will notice that. So I think it's very important, especially if you're a manager or leader, to know what actually energizes people. When do they feel their best selves and um, kind of make sure that those conditions are created? Yeah. What stresses me out, obviously, is the opposite of that. Uh, and it's actually quite hilarious um, because it's not what you think. Uh, when we started, that probably was the most surprising section across the entire uh, workshop that we did with the team. Um, and, uh, for example, um, one of our colleagues mentioned that they don't like when someone asks a work question when they uh, go to get a coffee um, because coffee is the only time they're away from the desk this is their time they love to chat about movies anything else anything interesting that's happening but not work this is their time to take a break they consciously take a break and when someone jumps with a work question that kind of ruins the break i'm the opposite if i'm at my desk I am working and please do not disturb me. I'm in a focus mode. I have something that I'm trying to accomplish. So if someone comes over to me with a work question, even if it's a really, really important question, I probably won't be in the best space to answer. But when I'm at a coffee machine, please ask me anything. I, my mind is free. I can answer any question and I will be, yeah, I will be much better help to anyone. Mm. So you can see how these small things that are so non-intuitive and Clearly, we're causing so much stress <laughs> to someone uh, without anyone knowing because, you, you, like, again, these this yeah. things, some people are not um, bringing them up. Um, and uh, so it's good to know. So these yeah. are the things we discussed in the section. What um, it, it seems to me that the what we're doing here, whether it's the manual me or, or something else, is we are um, documenting, identifying and documenting, um, how we like to work and interact so that other people can not just understand that if you, you know, tell me something and then I don't remember it, I'm ignoring you, right? You're, you're, you are looking for ways to understand how to connect with somebody and this ultimately, to me, seems like the um, 
intensive in empathy development is really what this is this is all about i think I love the term of intensive empathy development. This is brilliant. And you absolutely nailed it. It is about having this open conversation so you don't start making up your own stories in your head why a person did something. Why did they react like that to me at the coffee machine? They must hate me. Why did they forget when we discussed this in the meeting? Because they prefer reading, not talking. Like all of these things that we make up about people actually are very, very simple things that can be discussed up front and yeah, just uh, documented as well. Yeah, yeah. And that way you don't have to spend as much time and mental energy, right? Like our mm. brain is the biggest energy suck, you know, resource in our body um, on those interpersonal pieces. And I would also say that establishing this establishes um, permission to discuss those things. And that to me is the biggest, one of the biggest gaps that I've seen inside of workplaces where there's just not a lot of permission to talk about the things that we don't normally want to talk about and and in i've i've learned the you know as as brusque as you might think north americans you know americans are there is a lot of conflict avoidance in in you know enterprise organizations and this is a great start it's a great tool setting it up setting those expectations i think this is a very powerful way to really establish or reestablish a culture. There's, um, you know, it's almost it's almost like the first piece is this, the individuals, and then the second piece would be like a, a team charter or a project charter, right? Okay, now, now that we got ourselves together, now we can talk about what we're shooting to, to, to sort out. And I would I would go further and say these types of tools where we're establishing and getting good at establishing the expectation, needs and expectations, as you pointed out, is going to be a critical tool for organizations and product teams moving forward because guess what? We're going to continue to be speeding forward and projects are going to start and they're going to stop and be over and then we're on to the next thing. And where it's where I see the big struggle now is that that gap is even that there's this gap of understanding that's growing because of all this distributed world. And so we need more of these tools, both individually, team wise, organizationally, to really make sure that we understand other people, regardless of if they're ADHD or not. We just need to understand other people better because we can't. We don't have as many opportunities to learn from them in person. A hundred percent. I, I love what you said, and and you're right about the culture, especially in big companies, kind of avoiding these conversations. And I have a a theory that potentially that comes from the fear that. People will ask for things like if we discuss your needs and expectations, you'll say, I need five months off a year and this is how I work the yeah. most productive or I yeah. don't want to come in at all. And this is how I and that fear stops people from having a conversation oh. about what actually people need. Well, actually, there won't be any big asks that you will hear. And because it's discussed at the team and very important point about 
this workshop is needs to be done as a team it's not you can you should write it individually and then discuss it as a team because that's when you create those special moments of like hi i didn't know that oh that's really surprising fact so you really need to create this as you said open conversation where no one is afraid to actually mention things and kind of bring things up um and from there creates a culture where then you don't need conflict resolution of i felt that way because you said this because you already kind of preempt that by creating this kind of manual where you you know what the person how the person might react mm. and uh, you try to avoid those uh, situation for that person yeah and i will t I'll bring it back to something you said at the beginning which is this one size fits all answer and it feels like we both have a the the opportunity and new tools to customize and be connected with other people to understand them. But also we have a lot more challenges in that we don't know how to manage people. We haven't learned, relearned, or learned for the first time how to manage people in distributed teams because we've been together for, you know, as long as, you know, since the industrial age, we're all together in, in the office a hundred years. And so where I think this next decade is gonna be, I'm I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that the next decade will really be this learning how to manage for these individual differences. And maybe we can get good enough at it that it will scale because I think that's part of the problem is that there's a lot of teams out there that just, that there, there's a lot of organizations that are just like, okay, just hire these people. We just need to get it going. I mean, eat. After let's say after the layoffs are are over, we're gonna we're gonna pick back up this year. I'm sure, um, tech's gonna grow and you know creative is gonna grow and we're gonna have an up another upswing, and people are gonna start hiring like crazy. And it's if you aren't able to put in that energy and effort to as you're revealing in this call, understand our teammates, the people that we're working with, and then understand our team and then understand our company that it's going to be um it's going to be it's going to slow down the progress it's going to slow down that creativity and ultimately those the thing that you're talking about where it's like it it's uh homogenous thinking is efficiency driven well efficiency is what robots do right it's what ai does creativity and understanding other people is what they can't do and coming up with those those new ideas in new ways. And that those big breakthroughs are gonna require this more and more. And so what I'm taking away from our conversation is, yes, how do we increase neurodiversity, but how do we increase the ability to be creative and work together even when we're not in the same room? We don't have to bring everybody back to the office. What is it? Does that sound? Does 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 I hundred percent agree with you, and I hundred percent up for the culture of creativity and what you said. Effectiveness, not efficiency. We we all trying to do mm. something great. It's not about being efficient if you're doing the wrong thing. So definitely, um, I I love the idea of actually um creating this environment where where people can thrive. And I think we are very lucky, obviously, at Future London Academy that we see how different companies operate. So we kind of kind of see trends before they become a trend. Yes. Um, yes. and what we see with 
again, the, the kind of the changes in the workspace and culture and neurodiversity, as you rightly said, there will be a big shift in terms of how people work and how people need to create the environments where the humans can thrive, <laughs> not the machines. It's almost like you need to create a report from the future of your learning. <laughs> I don't know if you're you're thinking about that. We'll put it on the product roadmap. Um, Katerina <laughs> Salamina, uh, the co-founder and incredible leader of Future London Academy. You can learn more about this incredible program, futurelondonacademy.com. Thank you for uh, sharing what you have learned about uh, neurodiversity and bringing together creative teams, even when they're distributed. Um, I am looking forward to more learning more from you and your and your group. There's a lot of amazing stuff there. Um, and and I really appreciate you coming on Great Mondays Radio. Thank you so much, Ashley. It has been such a pleasure. And I feel like we could have had another two hours talking about this fascinating topic. Absolutely. But I'm great that we 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 had an opportunity to discuss this. This was amazing. Thank you. We'll do a part two in the future. Thank you, Katerina. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio. Hey, if you want to be a guest, head over to radio.greatmondays.com. And if you think this episode was interesting and your friends and fans would enjoy it, please share on social media. And if you want to get more people to understand the power of company culture in business today, please rate and review Great Mondays Radio on your podcast feed. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to hear more candid conversations with culture leaders, subscribe to Great Mondays Radio. I'd love to connect with you. Find me on LinkedIn at aka Josh Levine, on YouTube at Great Mondays, and you can always email me, josh at greatmondays.com. Find out more about our work with hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations at greatmondays.com. I'm Josh Levine. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio.